becomes like a fleeting memory. Whatever you grab just turns to dust. Like eye contact with a stranger stranger out of the It's a dream that you to make real. Passing note of the song. Glimmer, glimmer of the ship being seen. Ready? Ready. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. To the shores. To the shores. First episode of Daylight Saving Time. <laughs> it's so hard to say that without, without the S, because there's no S. It's Daylight Saving Time. Daylight Saving Time. Which sounds like an emo band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's not Daylight Savings. Not like a savings account or something? No, it's not a savings account. <laughs> the daylight is saving the time. It's more of a... So it's, it's a verb. <laughs> I, I I just don't understand. Other than the farming thing, I don't understand the daylight savings, saving time, saving time, daylight saving time. Uh huh. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, I think it's dumb. I'm. I I wish they were just get, getting rid of it rather than making it permanent. But I'm happy that it's no longer going to be changing. So Matt, I had this conversation before, and I did not understand exactly which one was which and <laughs> why he was for one side or the other. <laughs> I'm just more like choose one, just pick one. Yeah, just pick one, stick with it. That makes sense enough. Well, it is strange that there's light coming in from the windows, though. Yeah, usually at this time, it's normally we podcast dark. in the dark <laughs> as the dawn. Approaches <laughs> dusk, dusk, <sorry. laughs> dust dawn, whatever. Having a hard time with time. I am. Time is a hard thing. It's Time's so weird, arbitrary. Yet, yeah, tells you where you are. I had a whole like the beginning of a deep thought about that the other day. Are we going to go there? Do you want to go there? I don't know. To, into time, into time, or do you want to go into uh, the? Let's just go there. What the hell? <laughs> this is our podcast. We can do whatever we want. Well, no, I was just like, I was kind of laying on my bed in the morning. It was maybe over the weekend and just laying there, not really doing anything and thinking about the, the strange nature of time. Mm. Like there's lots of things in your life that you know are in the works, are currently happening, but haven't sort of happened in the like conclusive final mm. state. And yet here you are just sort of laying here in some, in some way waiting, Mm -hmm. you're just waiting for time to move into, to move these things into conclusion. In another sense, maybe waiting to act, to bring them to conclusion, but you're somehow locked on this rail of time that you can't get out of. And what watching it all unfold. Hmm. <clears throat> which is interesting. I, I, we were texting back and forth today and, uh, as so much I, I learned for whenever we talk, <laughs> <laughs> but as I was like, you and I are a lot more comfortable with that in between space, you know, as far as like <clears throat> between like what ha- what is and and has been versus what is to be and what is to become. Um, I think you and I function really well in that space and kind of almost like, <clears throat> but there also is the kind of like that you don't, <clears throat> you can see the possibilities, but you can't, it's not, the timing's not right. And you know that. Hmm. And so you have to kind of like twiddle your thumbs. <laughs> you know, it almost feels that way. Yeah. But you see something that you see the possibilities. Mm-hmm. And then there's those moments where you are able to kind of put things into motion 
in the service of that purpose that's to happen into the future. And uh, I, I find that again, I could be wrong. I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if very many people are like that, like as far as like being able to like look into the future and like, what do you need to do now in order to manifest that into the future? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe, maybe a lot of people are, I, I don't, I don't know. Um, but then I think kind of like your point to this was sort of like, there are these moments where you're, you kind of just are waiting. You kind of almost have all the pieces in play that you know of or can at the moment. Yeah. And you have to kind of sit there and wait mm-hmm. for the, for the cruel <laughs> rail of time to, <laughs> to move through you. But isn't that sad too? I mean, cause like, there's aspects of, of, you know, in, in business for us, um, you know, it's like, Oh, I can't wait till it's October. Cause that's whenever our business really just takes off, you know? And then by the time October comes and I'm preparing for December mm-hmm. when it kind of slows down and then, and then in December I'm preparing for the spring, you know, it's like, I'm always preparing two right. to three months ahead <clears throat> of time, but then there's this part of like being in the present mm-hmm. because like, you know, how many seasons pass and then your kids are out of the house and you're like, Oh, well, shoot, <laughs> you're always preparing, but you're never living in the moment or, or in that space, you know, which is why we have these sort of idioms like stop and smell the roses. Mm-hmm. Like you, you do need to be always preparing, but if you're only always preparing, you're missing something. Yeah. Missing out on the present and the, Celebrating the parts of life which have come into fruition, have manifest. But if you only do that, then you're kind of screwed. Well, it's like the the grasshopper and the ant. You know, the ants working. You know, during the bringing in all the food to its its little whatever you call that nest or whatever, and the and the grasshopper is just sitting there playing music all through the summer, and it's not ready for the winter time. You know, so there's a sort of you know we're sort of responsibility of preparing for what is to come. But there's also that sort of like, you know, how can you enjoy the moment and and be in the present? Right. Because it's definitely a dance or a balance. Well, that kind of maybe segues into the thing we were talking about before the podcast, this idea of, of love and religious language. Hmm. I don't know if that's how, how I want to say it exactly, but I think it's a good neutral way to say yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Cause as you said, you're always preparing for something in the future. I mean, even when the thing that you were preparing for, you know, the thing you're preparing for now will come in October mm-hmm. and that'll be good. But if you're not preparing at that point for the spring, then it's going to stop being good, mm-hmm. you know, right quick. Yeah. So you're always preparing for something in the future and well, how far into the future do you prepare? Hmm with Medici, let's say. Yeah. But then you're also doing, you're playing the same game with your wife and with your kids and with your finances and with your, all your hopes and dreams. And, you know, it's this very complicated set of preparations that you're constantly making Mm -hmm. in your life. And what is that for? And in the short term, near term, you can always sort of say maybe foolishly and objectively what that is. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like what we talked about last week about hope you know, what is it that you hope for? Like you attach a, a name to it, 
or time to it, a value, a value to it. But if you trust the hope to that itself, it will betray you because that isn't the thing that you actually hoped for. It was that within some broader story that is being told that you yourself are telling. Mm-hmm. So if you think through all of that far enough, you end up somewhere outside Well, you end up sort of in the land of imagination. Mm-hmm. And then there's even something beyond that, which is the inarticulable, the, the symbolic, and then maybe even something beyond that. Mm-hmm that's only just simply felt. What is that all of that? Mm-hmm. Well, it's almost like that, that poetic or romantic aspect of life. It's like, you kind of have to have that sort of higher ideal, the inarticulate that you are moving toward. And the more that you can articulate that, the more meaning is, uh, manifest in your life. So like, you know, when you're young, you don't have as much experience or, um, or frame of reference to really articulate what that means into the future. But as you grow older and have some heartbreaks and some failures and some successes, but mostly failures, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, really look at it. It's like most of our life has consisted of a bunch of failures and a few successes, yeah. <laughs> or maybe I'm just pessimistic in that way. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and, and, and as you kind of have, have put quite a few of those together, you know, you're, you start to be able to, or should be able to start to articulate something into the future. And I think that's, again, going back into our hope conversation, because you really, as you start to put together a bunch of those experiences, you kind of start heading into one direction or the other, into the land of hope or to the land of sort of despair and... Um, <laughs> Uh, grumpiness. <laughs> mm-hmm. Land of grumpiness. It's, of grumpiness. It was, it's how you interpret the it. Grumpy so it's grumpy old man. The, the narrative, you know, it's like, what's that higher ideal that you're moving towards? Yeah. And if you at any point start to give up on something that's a higher ideal or a higher calling, I don't see, I don't see how people can, I don't see very many people. I don't have some sort of ideal or higher calling. Mm-hmm that they are starting to articulate better and better live fulfilled lives. Mm. And because I mean, I think the ones that we've just see throughout history and maybe in your life, it's like those that are able to communicate that clearly, you know, whether it be through family or, um, you know, uh, you know, even religiously or, or, you know, serving or, or whatever it might be. There's some sort of thing that, that is beyond them that they're sort of giving their life to. Yeah. And that's, that's where I think brings us to the point of what I was trying to, to begin to talk about, which is love itself. And I think maybe a year ago we did maybe four or five episodes on love and fleshed some of this out. But I think that love is, Love is the thing that wants to see you become who you know you could be or the best version of yourself or something Mm -hmm. like that. It is the thing that calls you into flourishing, draws you into it even. Mm -hmm. It transforms you, reveals you, and renews the things in you that need to be renewed so that you can move toward it. 
it is that ultimate high, highest ideal in some some way. I was thinking about this in terms of, um, well, in terms of, let's say, um, like I think it's strange because when when you start fleshing that out, and if you think about it in terms of um, love between a man and a woman of a man, you would call that romance. This, this transforming, revelatory, renewing nature of him that comes from the love he has for this woman. Mm-hmm. Like when a person falls in love with another person, it transforms everything in their life in a way that one reveals what those things are. Like suddenly things matter to you that didn't used to matter. Or you just see things that you didn't used to see, you know, when you're going through your life heads down, I mean, that's the analogy, right? Heads down. You don't see, you see a very limited set of things, Mm -hmm. even in your own home, even about your own life. You just don't even see the things that don't matter to what it is that you're doing. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden somebody comes into your life that you love and all of a sudden you look around and you, the things you didn't used to see, like the, the, the lawn that wasn't mowed or the sink that didn't stop dripping or the car that, you know, hasn't been properly repaired. And all of a sudden, you know, you didn't have any purpose for seeing those things before, Mm. but now you see them because you see everything now in this new light, this light of love. And you say, Oh, well this won't do not for this woman, not for this relationship. Mm -hmm. Like now I've got all these things that I need to take care of because I want these things to be in service of the love that I have to be, evidence of the love that I have. Mm -hmm. Um, and so your life is revealed to you in this, in this love. And then it is transformed by the light of that Mm -hmm. and renewed. Go ahead. ahead. No, I was just, I mean, just all the things are, you just kind of laid out. It was just, it was interesting. I was thinking, you know, whether it be friendship or love, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, like a significant other, you know, it's, it's, there's something that there's like an added value and perspective and sort of opening yourself up to something bigger and, and, and more than kind of like you said, more than what you had seen before, you know, uh, I think part of like doing the podcast that we've done, it's like something that we've known is like, if we just sit down and talk, you know, at least you and I are going to get something out of this, you know, it's like, we don't know what it is. Yeah. It's like, so we orient our Wednesdays around doing this, you know, because there's something that we value in that. And we know that something comes out of it that's bigger than, you know, than I could do by myself or mm-hmm. something like that, you know. And you can also see that in family, too, that, you know, it's like you you come together with this woman and you make life. Well, she's doing most of the work of making the life, you know. It's like, <laughs> it's like all of a sudden there's more than what it's almost like a physical representation of love that you come together and you produce more than two, you mm-hmm. know, uh, whether, you know, like it's the fruits of love, it's the fruits of love. And, yeah. and kids are kind of symbolic of that sort of like fruit, you know, and that moves off into the future that, you know, uh, that hopefully, you know, that they will also move into the future with their own families too. Hmm. Uh, and this might be kind of like old fashioned, but uh, I, I think that's very, you know, evolutionary and, and also something 
Well, it's like, poetic. it's deeper than symbolic even, mm. you know, you talk about mm. like a man and woman become becoming one. Yeah. And you sort of think that you know what that means. It's like you, you intertwine your lives with one another. Mm-hmm. You spend time together. You start seeing things in a similar way, thinking about things in a similar way. You, you do this with friends too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually, <clears throat> I love uh, C.S. Lewis in the book The Four Loves describes the nature of friendship being two people sitting side by side, looking and saying, "I see the same thing." Mm-hmm. And he he writes quite a bit about that, and it's 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 really profound. Um, whereas Eros or sort of romantic love is a bit more, I sit across from you and I see you and you see me. Hmm. And that's the nature of Eros. Interesting. And in, in, in a lot of ways, you don't ever really just have one or the other kinds of love. It's some sort of interesting mix of, of different kinds of love. But mm-hmm. so a man and a woman become one, they see each other, they see the same thing. They become intertwined, inseparable, and then the child is the physical manifestation of that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the biological emergence of half you and half her. Mm-hmm. And it's new. And it's capable of going further out into the world than you ever could. It's like the, fr- the fruit of your love then goes and transforms the world past your own physical presence. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And we're done. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I want to. I want to try to flesh out this idea of love, um, a bit more because that's where my head has been in terms of of love and the idea of the transcendent ideal, and and explore how that starts mapping on to some other places that I don't think we traditionally see this. Mm-hmm. We we hear it talked about, but not don't seem to interact with it this way or this was what was revelatory to me is that you know okay you you love someone and that transforms your life first by revealing your life and then putting your life in service of it like you know i don't want my car to be broken anymore because that doesn't serve what i want to use it for anymore mm-hmm so I'm going to fix it so that it serves the relationship that I want. Yeah. But then it isn't as though it isn't as though you're putting that, that sort of you're, you're transforming your life. You're changing things that you didn't previously see that didn't need, that didn't matter. And now they do matter. So you're transforming them into something that serves what you want and what you want isn't exactly the sort of like objective reality of another person. It's also who you hope that person might be in the light of the love that shines on them mm-hmm. and who you might become reciprocating that. So you're already pushing your, you know, your hope essentially is already pushing past what is real or past what is happening right now in time. You're, you're preparing for something in the future mm. And what is that exactly? Like you don't really know it's in the land of hope. And actually with a relationship, you don't, you, you don't want to put words on it mm-hmm. too soon because you risk breaking the whole thing. I mean, do you think at some point it does break? 
Mm-hmm. You know, because it's sort of like I can see it in a sense that, you know, you have this ideal or this hope and it's, we never know exactly. <clears throat> I mean, there's a, there's a verse called hope deferred makes the heart sick. You know, there's something that we kind of like attach something to somebody or something. And whenever at, at some point we are going to be disappointed you know, by that person or that thing. Right. And, you know, that's not, I'm not being pessimistic here. It's just, I think it's kind of a reality thing. And then that's, I think that's in that point, there's a sort of renewal into a new hope, Mm -hmm. you know? So it's sort of like this sort of idea of this sort of death and rebirth that happens over and over and over again. Right. Um, But I think it can be very traumatic the first time it does happen as far as when something that you hope for kind of dies, you know, right. Fails to become what you hope it will become. Mm -hmm. But I guess that's the point I'm trying to illustrate is that you're, you're always outs. You're always sort of in any endeavor that seems to matter at all. Mm -hmm. You're always out over your skis in that way. True. Like risking injury Mm -hmm. for the sake of something that you hope is true or will become true. And there's part of that becoming true, which is actually, it's like a creative process mm-hmm. that you, you form a relationship with somebody, whether that's a friend or a lover, and you actually do create something new. It isn't just the sum of the two of you. Mm-hmm. It's you come together and create something by, by nature of your own hope and the love that calls you toward it. So you're already dealing out in the land of the future, the land of maybe imagination, Mm -hmm. the land of even I sense something beyond my ability to describe what it is or might be. You're you're Mm post-articulate. And all of a sudden I'm thinking through all of this and I'm, I'm thinking about this all makes perfect sense. Like a love that transforms and reveals and renews and your joyful um unavoidable response is to put your life in service of it yeah there's a certain amount of like risk and vulnerability and uh, right. kind of inherent in that it's like when you step out and you hope it's like And I think as, as you get older, you do see like, you know, it's like, okay, this is not going to turn out the way I think it will, but it's worth putting myself out there for it. Right. Um, where I well, think yeah. In, in the face, it's sort of like, you kind of like, <laughs> you're kind of more than willing to jump help yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then maybe you get burned. And so you feel that call and you just say, no, mm-hmm. I'm, I, I won't transform my life for yeah. this mm-hmm. or allow my life to be transformed by it. And that's sometimes that those instances where you start to seek safety and comfort and sustainable sustainability, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, which inevitably leads to a stagnant sort of existence. You know, if you don't kind of get yourself out over your skis or hope or yeah. move towards something greater than yourself and what you could be. Right. Well, so I hear all this language and I can't help but think, isn't this exactly how religion talks? Yeah, I mean, it's most effective religion is what says 
well, what is God? God is love. Mm-hmm. And what are you supposed to do with God? Transform your life. Serve your God. Mm-hmm. The, the image of God is revelatory and will renew you. But the thing is, it's abstract. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like religion is trying to reverse engineer um, natural experience. How so? Well, okay. So let's say you fall in love and you're a fairly observant person and you sort of discover like, oh, wow, isn't that interesting that these things around me have been revealed? And, and isn't that interesting that I care to change them? And isn't that interesting that I no longer see a couch. I mm-hmm. see a place for, for conversation with my beloved. And I want to then p- transform that couch into something which is more in service of the, of the things that I want to happen there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you notice all of this thing, this, this, and the relationship goes really well. And, um, so well that your friends and people in your community say, how are you all doing this? Hmm. Seems to be going so well. How are you doing this? And you think, well, okay, how can I dis- you know, describe the principles hmm. that you might follow, which are then codified into some sort of set of rules that seem to describe this process. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you have something that sounds very much like, well, uh, I want to avoid using the word I used earlier. (laughs) You have a set of impositions that you could offer somebody and say, well, you know, do these things, transform yourself and serve your love. And, um, all of a sudden it, it, now that it's abstracted, it sounds like some order that's been put down on you. Hmm. When I think in reality, the religious endeavor is seeking to, well, describe how it is that you live a life well lived, Hmm. you know, and in order to do that, it's not enough to just say, well, here's how you're successful at a romantic love, or here's how you're successful at a friendship or being a father or being a son, because all of that's nested in something greater. Hmm. And what is that greater thing? I mean, there is a greater thing in which all this is nested that even the proper description of it lives outside of the articulation. And so if for romantic love, you align yourself and transform yourself for outcomes, which are very, uh, quantifiable Mm -hmm. and in the near enough future that you can say this has been successful, but you live a much longer life than that. And so, what does it mean to live a life well lived? You have to be aimed at something that's past your own stay here on this earth somehow. Mm. And so how do you start describing that and the principles that would guide that if you were trying to describe someone's life that you felt like was successful? Well, it seems like any way that you do it, especially like, uh, you know, 10 ways to maintain and keep a girlfriend. It's sort of like, like those are never really, like they might be good advice, you know, but, but you can't really 
it's it's too confining it's like you need something that's broad and something that's that that you can't define like i just thinking of um uh you know in the bible it talks about like love the lord your god with all your heart with all your mind with all your soul it's like well how do you do that you know and, and then there's all these sort of examples of people attempting or trying to do that but it's always you always see that no one ever really succeeds in a, in a sense, you know, and yet they do at the same time, but mm-hmm. it's more about where you aim yourself towards. Like you even see this in Eastern, like the Tao, the way it's like, well, what's the way it's like, it's the way it's the way, you know, it, it's like, it has to be, it has to be that vague right? because it's not something that you can define. However, there are things that may help you to move into the way, you know, or, and those are the things that the start goal. sounding like, rules and impositions uh-huh. right but if you put one in front of the other it's like those rules and positions should support you and help you into the future mm-hmm. not serve those things or those those be the ends ends and of themselves like like if if my wife and i go and have a date once a week and i bring her coffee every day or you know all these things then we're going to have a great relationship it's like yeah bullshit yeah it's like no those are things that you do that could lead towards a great relationship but it has to be something beyond those things that are you're 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 moving towards or driving towards. You right. know, it's like same thing with friendship. You know, it's like, um, you know, I bring Matt coffee. Matt buys whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> it's the little things the we little do for things. each other. <laughs> yeah, it's like you know, um, you know, we do this podcast together or something like that. It's like there's there's these things that we do, but it's not really like I think something that draws you and I together is that sort of like exploration into the unknown obviously the shores of ignorance mm-hmm. it's like something that we share that we don't really know wh- what's on the other side of that in fact we kind of both understand that it's never ending there's mm-hmm. there's there's really not another other side of it but there's discovery along the way you know which is really exciting and fun and, and i think that's something that kind of has drawn our friendship closer mm-hmm. together over the years you know mm-hmm. um and then there's all the things along the way you know it's like where uh, you know, kids and marriage and all these kind of things, you know, uh, that kind of also draw us together, you know? Um, so no, it's, it's, it's interesting to, to think of like, you need, you need that higher ideal. Hmm. You need something that's beyond explanation, you know, sort of like, again, the Moses meeting God, I am who I am. It's not, and then like that, well, I mean, what do you, like, I guess, what would you say to someone who that might be a frustrating like statement, like God, you know, like something that's greater than yourself. It's like, no, I don't need that. Like, what yeah. would you, what would you say to somebody? Well, so there's that little clip I played you before the podcast. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll just, rather than playing it, I'll try to explain it. Um, it was revelatory to me. It was a debate between two people. I believe one was an atheist and one not an atheist. And the interviewer puts forward the question, uh, do you need God to make sense of life? And the atheist said, absolutely not. And that answer is more than enough. And then the other person said, God is what you use to make sense of your life by definition. And he says, you, you have a hierarchy of values in your life. 
If you didn't, you wouldn't be able to act in the world. You have to know what to do next, what matters more than the other things, you know, in this particular moment and then in the next moment, because there's an infinite number of things that you could do. There's an infinite number of things that you could do to an infinite number of things. It's this fractal, <laughs> right? So you, you have a hierarchy of values. There's no getting away from it. Um, well, so what's at the top of that hierarchy of values? That's God for you. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter if you don't believe in God or that God or name that God or even think that God exists. And then he says, it doesn't really matter what you think of God or what you think of God doesn't really matter to the way that God is acting in your life. Hmm. And I thought that's another one of those things where that's articulated so well. Like, it doesn't matter what you think of God. God is acting in your life. And that's another, like, that sounds so religious to me. It sounds so much like, like, word for word, some Bible verse or something that you read and you think, what the hell does that mean? (laughs) You know, but when you set it up this way, that to me makes perfect sense. It's beautifully put. Mm -hmm. You have a hierarchy of values, which means that there is something at the top and that is acting in your life because it's what's orienting you. And it doesn't matter if you can name it. It doesn't matter if you believe it exists. So long as you're acting in the world, that is true. Mm-hmm. There seems like there's also a refining process in that too. <clears throat> like we, we put things in that sort of space, that high, that, that top space in that hierarchy of values. And it seems like there's, we come, we come to a place where, we see that something has been misplaced and that, that, that idea or, or, or God that we, we, we thought was at that top of that hierarchy is actually, that's insufficient. It's actually more than that. Does that make sense? I mean, Mm -hmm. in religious ways, it's sort of like, like a, a relationship, you know, you think, you know, somebody, and then you kind of put them in this box and something comes in and surprises you and you're like, Oh, you're not who I thought you were. And hopefully mm-hmm. it's for a good thing. You're like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. <laughs> you've, you've, you've taken my, <clears throat> my, my parameters that I've put around you and you've kind of like blown them up a little bit. It's like the injunction to not pray to false idols. Hmm. Or, or the question, what's the difference between an icon and an idol? Hmm. I mean, it's a warning. It's saying, if you put something... At the, if, at the top of your hierarchy of values, which isn't sufficiently high enough, yeah. then watch out. Hmm. Because once you, well, it will break your heart yeah. because it is insufficient. Mm-hmm. And it will, it will break your heart and destroy your life. And maybe just for the simple reason that you will reach it and then what? You're yeah. done now you have no more hierarchy of values and your life falls apart because you have to have a hierarchy of values to act in the world. Hmm. I want, I want to explore this, the, you, how you just brought this up, this icon versus idol. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me if I'm, I'm, I'm following you on this. Uh, so an icon is a representation of something greater. An idol is something that is more of a, um, 
sort of like a, a false, a, a false, um, shoot. No, I'm not, I'm not going there. A false representation of that. Well, I would say an yeah, icon is not a false rep- representation. I, I think it was, um, John Vervecki put it this way that an icon is to an idol. What art is to a pro- is to propaganda. Oh, interesting. Okay. So maybe just to flesh that out a little bit, mm-hmm. like when you see art, what is it? Hmm. Is it that physical piece of canvas? No, not exactly. Yeah. It's whatever that seems to be pointing to in you. Mm-hmm. It, it's transcendent. It is, yes, representative of something, but not the thing itself. But by interacting with the representation, a light is shined uh, somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, um, that's what art does. Whereas propaganda doesn't seek to represent. Propaganda seeks to confuse or manipulate, to obfuscate the reality mm-hmm. in place of something that you wish to be believed for your own purposes. Hmm. And so that would be what an idol is. Oh, interesting. Wow. That was really good. I really like that. Me too. It's not, <laughs> not my, not my ideas. I can't take credit for them. Isn't it great? Like so many people like have all these little bits and pieces that they kind of put together for you. Right. Like, for Vic is pretty, pretty amazing. In a he lot is. Of those areas. Yeah. Damn. I really want to think about that a little bit more because you know, because I mean, again, like if you think of it in an Old Testament way, you know, you create these idols out of wood and, and the, the, you know, the Old Testament sort of like Jeremiah aspect of things is sort of like, you know, can the wood speak? Can the wood like, you know, draw down the, the wind or the fire? You know, it's like, it's like, no, it's just a piece of wood. It, it, it can't do any of those things, but you, you misrepresent the wood. <clears throat> as something that is greater than you attribute to the piece of wood things that can, can't be attributed to it. Mm -hmm. Whereas an icon, you don't attribute to that thing. Mm -hmm. Like you, like you don't attribute the transcendence of viewing a Picasso. Yeah. For example, you know, Pietra, the, the the Mary and Jesus where he's laying in her, you know, in her lap. you You don't attribute the power of that to this, physical object itself or even to the artist him or herself yeah yeah there's something transcendent about your experience and what that's communicating that's drawing you something drawing you to something greater Mm -hmm. like the sacrifice of a mother of of a of a son you know that the mother had to let go of her son to go into the world and to be you know, beaten and flogged, you know, but she had to allow her son to do that or else he, uh, he would not have been able to become all mm-hmm. that he, he was to be. Oh, that right? was a point I wanted to make earlier talking about love and love being the thing that wants to see you be the best you can be. Mm-hmm. And, and I imagined, um, a parent who well, so I'll just pose the question. Like it's, does love protect I think the answer is yes. If I love something, I protect it. Mm -hmm. Can love protect too much? Hmm. Yes. And you can imagine a parent 
who doesn't allow their child to do anything mm -hmm. to the extent of you may not leave the house. And when you're 18, you definitely may not leave the house and you will stay here mm -hmm. because I love you. Yeah. And you think, well, that's not love mm -hmm. because love doesn't stifle. Mm -hmm. It doesn't, you know, the, the parent who doesn't want their child who's 25 to leave their home isn't loving them. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so love has to engage in risk to say, in order for you to be the best, in order for this to be love, I have to want you to be the best you could be. Mm -hmm. In order for you to be the best you could be, you have to go risk. And I have to risk you in order for you to do that. I have to allow you to fail. Yeah. I can't, I, if I, by me protecting you from failure is actually harming you. It's almost like I have to sacrifice you mm -hmm. in order to allow you to be the one that I love, mm -hmm. which is another, um, like stereotype in romantic love. Like mm. if you love them, let them go mm. because the person who won't let their love go, well, that's not really love. Is it? That's more infatuation and jealousy possession possession. Mm. Yeah. That's not love. Yeah. Those things can be subsets of love, mm -hmm. but when they are made, when they are made the thing itself, that that's when it becomes idolatrous mm. and it feels gross to the other person. You're like, yeah. why are you attributing all of this to me as if I'm responsible for your happiness? Oh yeah. And you want out. It's like, yeah, get me away. Yeah. It is so funny. So we're, we're kind of dancing around this idea and it's, it's really hard to articulate it. I think, we, I think we are, but it's, it's like a, a kind of a both and type thing where, you know, love, there is a certain possession in love, mm -hmm. but at, at the same time, which is why you say be mine, be mine. Yeah. And I that want, feels good. I want, I want, I want to, to be possess yours. you, Yeah, you know, but then at the same time is like, if that becomes perverted, then you actually kill the very thing that you're, you're wanting to possess. Mm -hmm. It can become pathological. Pathological. Yeah. There's another example of that is like, we use pet names for each other in romantic love. Like mm -hmm. you, you, I might call you baby mm -hmm. and you might say, well, what are you doing? Are you infantilizing me? <laughs> and if you really think about it, you're like, well, like partly <laughs> kind of. Yeah. But if it were only that, that would be freaky. Yeah. You know, but also it's, it, it's partly about infantilization, but also partly about possession and also partly about submission hmm. to something more childlike, which is being pulled out of you hmm. in this renewing nature of the relationship. And like the death and rebirth thing that you were talking about, it's like there is some rebirth that happens in you in love. And maybe you don't exactly know how to talk about that. And you just say, baby. Mm -hmm. It's in, I'm saying it in endearment and it's, mm. it's packaged up all of these other things, mm -hmm. which if they were, if it were only one, it would be pathological and perverse. Yeah. But it's all of them together. And so it's, what's well, the Ouroboros? <laughs> <laughs> Man, this is, this is really super fascinating. Um, you know, cause a part of me wants to be able to sort of grab hold of this and to 
bring it down to earth, you know, and bring it to like a, but I think that's something that, that, that that's part of the process is you grab onto it and you bring it down to earth. Mm-hmm. And then it's, and then eventually you have to then grab back. You have to kind of reach back up and bring it down. So it's sort of, sort of like kind of like artistic imagination, creative aspect of like reaching into the unknown, going into the sea, the ocean of chaos and bringing something into the shores and making it known and ordered but you can't stop there. You have to then go back out and gr- grab, you know, grab some more of that chaos and more yeah. of the unknown. So it's like this continual process again, death and rebirth of sort of like going into the chaos and bringing it into order and then a never ending cycle of that. Well, it's the longing of love. Hmm. You're in yeah. love and you long. What do you long for? Yeah. You long for all that you imagine could be mm-hmm. to be here and now. Hmm. Like there's this song by the killers that I love uh, called here with me mm-hmm. and the chorus, the lyrics are, I don't want you on my cell phone. I don't want your memory in my head. I want you here with me. Mm-hmm. It's like the longing of love to be in here in reality. Mm. It also reminds me of um, <clears throat> one of my favorite Ted talks by Elizabeth Gilbert. She describes interviewing this poet and asking her about her process. And she said she was an older woman and she talked about when she was young, she would be working in the fields and, um, there were times when she could feel a poem coming over the horizon and rumbling through the fields. Hmm. And when she felt it coming, she, she knew her only job was to run like hell back to the house, get to a piece of pen and paper before it, the poem got to her so that it would move through her and she'd write it down. Hmm. And then she said, sometimes I wouldn't be fast enough and I'd get to the pen and paper and I'd have to reach out. And sometimes I could grab the poem by its tail and pull it back through me. Hmm. And in those instances, it would come out perfectly intact, but from the last word to the first. Oh, fascinating. That's such a great imagery. It's really great. It's beautiful. Uh Uh-huh. But that's the same, I think it's the same concept. Mm-hmm. Like all that could be, you want to be here now. It's why we make art. It's why we long for love. It's why, well, it's almost like this hierarchy of values. Mm-hmm. A life well lived is some, like you look at that woman and you think, well, what self-awareness and discipline she had to be paying attention to any poem which might come rumbling through the fields. And then she knew what to do. And you think, that's good. Mm-hmm. I want to be more like that in order to manifest, well, all that could be here and now. Mm-hmm. And again, we're like back into these religious ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Bible says the kingdom of heaven is here and now. Like, why would it say such a thing? Yeah. I mean, perhaps this is a reverse engineering of all of these concepts. Well, it has kind of made me think of like, uh, Alice and the kids were, uh, away for a couple of days. Uh, they went to see their, uh, Alice went to see her mom and her dad. And, uh, it's obviously spring break. So I was at home alone and it's like, part of me like really enjoys it. Cause I just do my, I read and I just hang out and mostly just read, <laughs> but I was just, I, it kind of hit me. I was like, Oh my gosh. Like I'm so, 
I'm so thankful I have this sort of life surrounding me. You know, it's like, it's chaotic and it's messy, but, but it also brings meaning and it also kind of like changes my orientation to where I have to kind of encounter something more than what I am. And it kind of draws that out of me where if I didn't have those people in my life, you know, like my wife and my kids, it's like, I would not be encountering this thing that almost draws me to kind of like reach out and try to grab whatever that is out there, you mm-hmm. know? <clears throat> and I think a lot of times it's really confusing and you don't, I think that's something that I think relationships specific, specifically can really have a huge impact on, on almost the necessity or that kind of like draws your attention to like, I need something more than what I'm experiencing right now. Mm -hmm. And, and you also experience your, your deficits or deficiencies. Right. You're, you're, you're encountering and you also with kids, it's like you're, you're putting this sort of hope out into the world, not only through them, but also like you're casting vision for them and they don't see it yet, and no, mm-hmm. nor can they see it yet. Right. And so it's frustrating to cast that vision. It's almost the same thing as like, well, religion. It's like religion mm-hmm. comes and says, "There's a God." You're like, "What the <laughs> hell do you mean by that?" <laughs> uh-huh. That doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. It's the same with children when you yeah. say, "Like, <laughs> you're going to have life after high school." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's an eternity away. Mm-hmm. Like you remember how long years were when you were a kid you oh, try yeah. to talk to somebody in middle school and like explain to them the importance of doing their schoolwork. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, good luck. Yeah. You're or, talking in a language they can't understand. Or just getting a good night's sleep. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> or whatever it might be. Right? You should get a good night's sleep. Why? So you can do well at school. Why? Cause it's going to matter when you get out of school. That's not even worth talking about. <laughs> <laughs> totally. It's like, But so, as a thing, like as a parent, that's part of your job is to cast, cast vision and hope into the future for somebody who who might not understand or see it until many many years later. I mean, it goes back to the whole adage of like when people are twenty five and they're like, "Oh, mom, dad, I'm sorry." You know, it's like there's a sort of like twenty to twenty five area where most mm-hmm. kids kind of come to a realization of like, "Oh, you did your best," you know. And yeah. especially whenever they start having kids are like, Oh, you didn't know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> like, I know right. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. Like, I get it now. For me, it was more of like a, Holy shit. <laughs> I'm the age my parents were when I remember my parents. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. And this is what they were working with. <laughs> I am completely out of my depth here. Exactly. Exactly. So that's, I mean, it's, there's so many, it's, there's so many instances. I mean, like, as far as like, you know, the more you move up in your job and responsibility, you become responsible for vision casting. And it's like those who have the most hope have the most influence. That was a quote that I, I, I don't know who said that, but it really does make a lot of sense. And whether you talk about business or relationships, it's like those who have the most hope have the most influence because they're able to cast into the future something that, that people can see and, and latch onto. And it, obviously it would grow and morph into something more, but mm-hmm. you know, I can just think of a lot of the managers that have been most impactful throughout, you know, Medici is like, it's like they were able to kind of draw people into a bigger dialogue, you know, like to see the customers in a way that 
it's not just transactional. It's like, it's like, Hey, say hi to them. You know, it's like, what's going on? How are you doing? It's like, it all of a sudden, like you see these other people start to imitate those managers and how they are interacting with the customers. And then, you know, it's like, then they start enjoying their job because they're, they're, they're drawing them into a, another experience of not just serving coffee, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And I think the people that can do that are super powerful. I mean, that moves, I mean, Martin Luther King's a great example, that casting vision and hope into the future. Like I have a dream. I mean, there's, there's so many examples of these types of people that have so much hope and see it and are calling it forth and it's not present now, but they can bring it to enough of like a flavor or taste that people see it and are are willing to present enough. It's present enough. Exactly. And it gives you the hope and you can almost, you can almost see the possibility of it, you know, mm-hmm. in the face of some dire circumstances, you know, right. Which is fascinating. And so encouraging. Mm-hmm. It's, it's almost like hope itself is hopeful. <laughs> what? <laughs> but it comes back to what you were talking about earlier. It's sort of like whatever that is at the, to- at the top of your hierarchy, that is God. And then you got to ask yourself, does that, is that worthy to sit at that place? I think there's something that you do. You, you almost have to kind of judge. Right. And again, this is, this is semantics, not God itself, but the God that you have put at the top of your hierarchy, it needs to be judged because that is not God, you know, Hmm. but you, you have, we all have some sort of God at the top of our hierarchy and we need to judge that always because it needs to be refined as it starts to resemble, you know, uh, that higher thing, you know? Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. I yeah. actually think that that's why <clears throat> in Christianity, the resurrection is so powerful. Hmm. It's, it's, um, Oh God must die. Sorry. I just, yeah. yeah. Right. Mm hmm. I guess growing up, it was always confusing to me why the resurrection really mattered. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you just made the case. Mm. It's like whatever sits at the type of the hierarchy has to be judged to be worthy to sit at the top of the hierarchy. Mm. And so what is, what is the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus doing? It's, well, it's positing that here's something which should sit at the top of the hierarchy. And then we judged it. And we killed it. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then what happened? It survived. Mm-hmm. Oh, fascinating. So it, it, at least in the story, is seeking to <clears throat> prove that it deserves to be at the top of the hierarchy. Overcome death. Overcome the, your judgment. I mean, actually... <laughs> I've been thinking, I started a Substack, mm-hmm. and I've been thinking about starting to post some articles there. <laughs> I love it whenever you know someone for so long and they're like, I started this thing, like, and you didn't tell me? I know. <laughs> I kind of like that, though. <laughs> um, I, well, I, haven't, I haven't posted anything on it, um, but I wrote an essay, actually, about this a couple of years ago, about why we killed God in the Christian story and why that's important. Um, I'm thinking maybe that'll be my first post on the Substack since... Easter is coming up here. Oh, that's awesome. Soon. Well, now I want to surprise you. You know, I have a blog, right? I've known that for years. Oh, that's right. You have a few people that does. 
<laughs> and I know that you keep that to yourself. You've never even shared it with me. Yeah, I have. Have, have you? I think. Oh, maybe I haven't. I don't know. Well, anyways, that's that's another discussion. All the time. <laughs> well, now you shared it with yeah, everyone. I, know I did, but nobody can find it though. <laughs> <laughs> all right, call to all of you out there. <laughs> find Switch Michael's blogs. <laughs> uh, no, I'm I, 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 I'm really loving this conversation because like that sort of like that death and rebirth and like it's almost that whatever sits at the top of that hierarchy for you it almost like needs to die continually Mm -hmm. and it needs to be resurrected in a new form and fashion because it also teaches us that we're insufficient in our, in our comprehension or understanding of what that is at the top of that hierarchy. Yeah. I mean, as soon as you come to comprehension, you're immediately insufficient. Mm so long as the thing at the top of your hierarchy is properly high enough and properly far enough. Totally. I mean that death and rebirth idea. I mean, so like back to the, the romantic relationship or marriage, let's say man and wife, you know, you've got constant death and rebirth of feelings and passion and emotion. And at times you have to live by a set of rules Mm. and then those rules become stale and stagnant and dogmatic and then tyrannical, if you let them, then they'll destroy the relationship. Yeah. So you have to let those die <clears throat> and enter in some creativity and romance and try things you've never tried and go outside of your comfort zone. And all of a sudden things reignite and they feel good. And you know, it's like, yeah. you, you are constantly rolling over. Mm-hmm. It's almost like we're just we're just beat up our whole entire lives. (laughs) (laughs) Just, just keep getting punched and punched and punched in a sense. But I don't know that there's a viable alternative because maybe back to where we started, we exist on this rail of time. Mm -hmm. And so you're always, and yet you have access to the future and you have access to the past, but you're here. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're rolling through it and you're, you're beat up as you do it Yeah. because you're not who you are yet and you are insufficient. Well, it's almost like you, again, I think that's the religious language is so powerful here is like, you know, uh, you know, you humble yourself before God, you know, it's like, and there's a sort of like a, um, an acknowledgement that I don't know who you are and I will never know who you are. But in the acknowledgement itself, you're acknowledging the existence of that. Hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, it's a simple thing insu- to acknowledge the yeah. existence. It's like you're, you're acknowledging your insufficiencies, but in doing that in, and being able to truly and fully recognize the top of the hierarchy, but that's almost the the biggest service you can do to live in that way. <clears throat> which is, which is, which is really crazy to think. Cause I, I, I don't know if I'm going to derail us here, but I, I, I kind of want to a little bit. Cause there's a part of me when I was thinking this week, I was just like, man, I'm just an animal. 
You know? It's like... We're just monkeys, man. Just monkeys, man. It's like, I... I procreate. I've made, you know, I've, I've made babies. It's like, I'm working, uh, uh, you know, there's things I enjoy, but it's like, but it's, it's, it's so wild that there's just something in us that we're, that we all want something more, you know? And it's like to, to say that we're all just animals. I don't think anybody can ever, anybody I don't think anybody can say that with all seriousness. There's something about the consciousness that we possess that almost tells us, no, you're not just an animal. And that is consciousness. I agree with you completely, but I don't know. I I hear a lot of highly intelligent people say things like, we're all just monkeys. Mm -hmm. Like we're all just, you know, responding to lizard brain urges. Yeah. You know, and I, I think I've even heard people make like a <clears throat> highly intellectual argument for the value of selfishness mm-hmm. and how a case can be made that a life properly lived is a selfish life. And that's sort of the same thing as saying we're just monkeys. Mm-hmm. But I, I disagree. And a lot of people that make that argument, it, it becomes semantical <coughs> too, because like, it is selfish in a sense to like acknowledge the, the hierarchy of what we're talking about because it is to your benefit. So some of those arguments, they 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 say these things. I'm like, yes, but well, but it's also kind of like the, the case that I think we've laid out here. It's like, mm-hmm. you can make a strong case for atheism. Mm-hmm. The problem is no atheist behaves as if they're an atheist. Yeah. <clears throat> so, the case falls apart when it's acted out in the world. Mm-hmm. And so to maintain, <clears throat> I think atheism, you have to play semantical games mm-hmm. to maintain some idea that we're just apes, no matter how intelligent you are, you have to play semantical games mm-hmm. and it's infuriating to me. Well, it's infuriating, but it's also like it, it also makes sense to me. Like, but Cause I mean, you just think about the process from us coming to where we are right now and all that had to happen over the millions and billions of years, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's like, there is this sort of aspect to us that, that is, we are just an animal, but at some point, and I think that what sets us apart is like, it's like, no, we're something more. And I think that ha- that question or that more has led to the ele- evolution of man in the form of it is where it is now. Right. And and I think like in, in an atheist would say like I think if an atheist was honest, would and a lot of people make this point is sort of like that led to that evolution to where we are now. And an atheist could say, yeah, but there's nothing behind it. And then we're, I think what we're saying is like, it doesn't matter if you believe there's anything behind it. We act as if it's true. And that's, that gives life the most meaning and brings out, uh, the, the highest aspect of who we are is being able to act that out. Mm -hmm. If you don't, if you don't act that out, I think all you, you see a lot of misery and, um, 
hopelessness. And then even an atheist who acts that out, they're acting as if that is true, whether they attribute that to a God or not, right. an actual God. I think kind of what you were talking about at the very beginning, you know? Mm. <clears throat> Yeah. So I just find it really, really fascinating that like this is something that you can't sort of sidestep or get around. It's like this is something that like I find it easier to call that God, you know, and that that's something that's beyond my understanding. I'm reaching out towards, you know. And that's something that my understanding and comprehension of God is sort of like something that has to continue to die because it's insufficient mm. to what it actually is. Mm. And that has actually become into the definition of that hierarchy of values is the very thing that I think is God is not, and it must die. Because and, it's more and what than God that. actually is, <clears throat> is, well, whoever you discover through the... Mm iterated death and rebirth of your own ideals. Mm -hmm. And I, and I think that's something I, I just have never been able to escape from. Cause I do, I do get the argument of like, we're just apes and we're yeah. just animals. Like that makes a lot of sense to me, but the other part I've, I've never been able to really, it, it, it doesn't make as much sense without that sort of like the hierarchy and that, the God on the top of my hierarchy must die and be reborn and to grow into my understanding of what that is. Like, mm -hmm. I don't see, um, I don't see a way around that. Interesting. Does that, does that even make sense? I, I'm kind of like, well, I was just thinking there's a couple here. ways you could say that. I mean, you could say that God, God must die and be reborn, which is what's acted out in the new Testament. Mm -hmm. Or you could say, my understanding of God must die and be reborn. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure that there's a difference between those two statements. Yeah. I think it's, <clears throat> it's the same process taking place. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. Well, it's, it's a chance. It's like, it almost, it is and it isn't. So I think this is, this is where, uh, again, I think this is kind of where the war inside me happens is, is this just an idea or is it something real in and of itself? You know, cause I, I would say like for me experientially, the idea of this is true. The, the next step beyond that I would agree with, but it's a little bit harder to connect to, which is the thing is real in and of itself. <clears throat> the thing beyond my understanding of God, you know, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it, it, well, I think it, it, it makes me think of this, this case that I think we've made a few times on the podcast that I think deserves maybe even its own episode, Okay, which is that <clears throat> the, the idea that relationship is the base layer, fundamental pillar of existence, pillar of reality. Hmm. Good point. Like there isn't anything without relationship. Mm. And it's a difficult case to make quickly. Um, you know, but I think, is there something in and of itself outside of you? Mm -hmm. And if you were to say no, well, that's solipsistic. And mm -hmm. we, I think we, 
we know that that's not a, well, we know that that's not good Mm -hmm. because anybody who behaves solipsistically isn't successfully functional in the world. Yeah. And they're not successfully functional in the world because they can't maintain meaningful relationships. Mm. I think that meaningful relationship is what makes, it's what makes the world. Mm -hmm. And so is there, if you were to pose the question, you know, is there a God in and of himself, Mm -hmm. itself, however you want to say that, that exists without being related to? Mm. Well, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that the question, it's almost like there are some questions that aren't worth asking. Mm. Somebody made the case about, um, oh, what's the, the woman who runs Quillette? Uh, I know who you're talking about, but I don't know. I forgot her name. Oh gosh. It's on the tip of my tongue. Yeah. She's active on Twitter. Um, she, she catches a lot of flack. She's also very intelligent. (laughs) Um, but there was an interview with her where somebody was asking her, you know, like this question is sort of like classic, like world war two Germany and Frank style question. Like what's the ethical thing to do when, um, you know, you're, you're harboring Jews under your floorboards and the, the SS comes in and says, are you harboring Jews under your floorboard? And her response was basically like, don't ask me stupid questions. And it's an interesting thing to think about because I understand what she means by that, mm-hmm. which is like, it's an ethical conundrum because it confronts you with, well, should you tell the truth? Mm. Is telling the truth good? always good. And then it abstracts this whole thing out into a hypothetical, which may have happened in the past. So it seems rooted in reality, but it's not exactly rooted in reality. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about something real. Like, don't ask me questions that are so abstract as to not matter to, to us and here and now, Mm -hmm. which I think this question seems similar in that respect to me. Hmm. Like, is there a God without being related to, well, it doesn't matter. Does it whether there is or isn't because I'm here. The question's being asked of me and my life is relational. And so if the answer is yes, what does it matter? If the answer is no, what does it matter? Like either way, the answer has no effect. Okay, we're gonna have to say that for another episode. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot I want to go into on that one. Okay. Well, let's do an episode about relationship. Okay. Yeah. The relationship between things and the fundamental nature of reality. My claim being relational. Just a small topic. Just just a little (laughs) one. You know. I'm sure we'll have it all figured out by time. Uh, an hour is done (laughs) (laughs) well Um, let's leave that one there then definitely thank you guys we love y'all see y'all it's been a good one (laughs) totally